1: Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen. And we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com. And there you can find resources we mentioned in this episode as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, Debbie. It's really good to see you today. Hi, Diana. You too. Good to see you. Wait, are, you ready are you ready to-, to continue this conversation about um, embodiment practice?
0: I am. Are your shoes off?
1: They're off. Yep. I you'll, be, you'll be happy to know. <laughs> I'm happy to know that. Um, so, yes,
0: last time we met, we talked a bit about this concept of embodiment. And just for a quick review, um, embodiment in, in some research settings is also called interoceptive awareness. So I'll be using those terms um, interchangeably. So embodiment, interoceptive awareness, innerness entering the wilderness of your inside body. And embodiment or interceptive awareness is, is defined as the process of receiving and accessing and appraising internal bodily signals. So we think about um, interceptive awareness of being aware of our hunger and fullness, aware of sensations of feelings in our body and sensations of pain, sensations of our heartbeats, uh, sensations of um our breathing and much of our, our lives is spent now in the external world in what's called exteroceptive awareness so being aware of what's around us and not as much aware of what's happening inside ourselves and I think that it could be really helpful for us to have a bit of a return to the inner world and this may also map on to helping us um, with psychological problems um, as well as physical problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm gonna talk a little bit about I also wanna do talk to you about um Katie Katie um, Bowman and I so I do do you remember I sent you a text, I did a group text to you and some of the other psychologists who have my group text about Katie yes, Bowman.
1: I think uh, I know Katie. what you're gonna talk about, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna call um, you out. We can
0: save these texts. They're in there forever. And so I sent you this text about Katie Bowman, who has. um she was. It was a, a article in I think Good Housekeeping of all places, where she's going furniture free. And um, your. Do you remember what your response to the text was? I
1: said. I said something like I can't decide if that's. What did I say? That- I can't decide if that's really
0: cool or really uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. I was like, I mean, sometimes I like to just plop down on the couch, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> she put in like a jungle gym or something, and I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I respect that she's really giving this nutritious movement thing her all, but I just don't see it happening.
0: <laughs> That's what you say, come to Santa Barbara. <laughs> I don't
1: know. You, uh, have you done this, Diana. <laughs> So we are in the
0: process. So I have been in the process of um, sitting on the floor in my home exclusively. Like I have not sat on a piece of furniture in my home since the new year. And I am a devotee to this. And I'm going to explain why and how it relates to embodiment, as well as explain why a little bit of this attachment to comfort that we have which is actually causing us a lot of problems
1: okay so, hey, i don't know if i want to hear this. <laughs> i'm sitting on a chair right now and i'm like I know oh, you I are. Know. oh no okay
0: so let's just start let's just do this in a like in a practice embodied way so that then we can maybe understand it a little bit better Okay? Okay. So then have you get out of your chair, and anyone that is listening, get out of their chairs. All right. Okay?
1: All right, and I'm up. But <laughs> I want you to do, and
0: I wish I could see your whole body, because it's really helpful for me to see you in doing this. But um,
1: We're on so Skype, we're, for those of us who are, who are listening. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. can only see, like, about from my belly button right. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what I want you to do is I want you to
0: just get down on the floor as if you were going to sit down and play with your kids. And just don't think about it. Just just get down, but have enough awareness to notice what you did to get down. Okay. Just get down, quickly.
1: All right. And then
0: push yourself to get, get yourself back up. All
1: right.
0: Okay. Tell me what you did physically to get down and we get back.
1: So I just did a kneel, that I like kneeled down on one knee, mm-hmm. and then I sort of plopped down, I guess. Okay. Did you use your hands to get down? I did not.
2: You didn't. Can you do it again? I That's know. just
1: because my hands are a little cold, so they're kind of inside my sweatshirt. So I kind of... Okay. I don't know if I normally would, but can you see me? I can mm-hmm. move my Skype camera.
0: Yeah. So you so you got down um, and kind of plopped to the side and then got back up. Okay? Kind of, and yeah. Some people... For most people, I would say they usually use some form of a hand to help themselves down and to help themselves up, because it's actually pretty much a challenge to get our bodies from standing to sitting. Okay.
1: Okay? Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um, so for if, you, if you are out there and you use your hand, that's probably the case for most of you, at least when I've been doing this with people. But now I want you to do it a little bit different. We're going to do it in an embodied way. Because one thing that we know is that transitions are important. Transitions in life are important. Transitions in our day are important, are important. And transitions are often the time when we become disembodied. We leave ourselves.
1: So if you think about
0: what are some of the biggest transitions in your day for you, Debbie?
1: Like getting up out of bed. Uh-huh. Leaving the house. Yeah. uh Coming back to the house, right. <laughs> going to bed. And, yeah. And why this transition is important? Um. Well, coming and going, changing state, like from awake to asleep. Yeah. Um. Pretty significant. You're going from like conscious to not, I mean, unconscious right, to conscious. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Hello, self.
1: Active uh-huh. to inactive. Uh um, mm-hmm. huh. Yeah. Changing what about what about, inter-
0: what about interpersonally? How those are those important? What do you mean? Like coming home and going. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you leave
1: people. Yeah. You greet people. You leave people. You're reunited. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Very important in how we leave and how we come back. And even just that transition time of the early coming back. And our children are so embodied that they're very aware of it. mm You know, they're very aware of that transition, and mommy's going to work. She's wearing those clothes today. And then they kind of know internally, this is the time that I don't feel good inside. Hmm. Or, you know, or whatever. Maybe they do feel good. I don't know. I'm going to school. So that's, you know, whatever it is. Um, Or coming back. But transitions are important. Likewise, when we're waking up and we're coming from sleeping, which is a very sort of deep place in ourselves, into an awakened state, And more often than not, we're not paying attention to that transition either. We're not paying attention to how we're getting out of our beds. We're often grabbing our phone and putting the first, you know, opening up our phone and looking at something on our phone first thing and having that visual stimulus be the first thing that we see in the day. And I don't know if that's what really we would always choose, you know, the current news feed if that's what, you know, if we were being a little bit more conscious and embodied, that what we would choose would be the most nourishing thing to open our eyes to in the morning. Um So transitions and then transitions in life are important. And more often than not, when we are transitioning, we become disembodied or we don't pay attention to that transition. Okay? Yeah,
1: because you're kind of thinking about the next thing. You know, you're kind of in your head about it, right? Yes,
0: yes. Or we've done it so many times, so why should we pay attention to it? Mm-hmm. I've gotten out of bed. I've left my house. I've come back. I do that every day. Why mm-hmm. should I pay attention to this part? Yeah,
1: right? yeah, just sort of autopilot. Autopilot, exactly.
0: I've gotten up and down off the floor in and out of my chair for years. Why should I pay attention to it? Well, because transitions are important. They're also the point in time when we have done repetitive things, which also could lead to repetitive patterning that is not so good for our bodies or repetitive patterning that's not so good for our psyches or repetitive patterning that's not so good for our relationships right? Mm-hmm. So if, you know, it's the first time, I, first thing I do when I walk into the home, instead of greeting my children, is to go straight to my computer, you know, that's going to send a message to, you know, to my, my family. If I did that every day, it would send a certain message versus if I went and were present with them every day. Yeah. Okay. So let's practice with our sitting and standing. This is something we do often, and if you're in my house now, you're doing it on the floor. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, what we're going to do is, again, get up into a standing position, and we're going to step our right foot back so that you're stepping back, okay, and then you're going to lower your knee down so that you are into a lunge, okay? So if you were already getting up and down out of the floor every day in this position, you would be getting a nice psoas and a nice stretch and lunge. Now, people do this in exercise class, in the yoga class. They do lunges. But if you were just every time you got up and down, you did a lunge, you would be getting the same benefit as going to an exercise class, but would be better because you'd be getting it all day long. Hmm. So now you're going down on your knee and you're in a lunge, and then I want you to bring... The other knee back so that you're in that kneeling position that you were in earlier. Debbie, you talked about so now you're kneeling.
1: Kneeling okay. on one knee, right? On both knees. Oh, both. knees. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got yeah. it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you've got for legs. Now you're
0: on two knees kneeling, like in a prayer position. And then what I'm going to have you do is using your core, using your core and not momentum, you're going to shift your hips to one side while your legs go to the other. So you're kind of in a seated position where your hips are down and you're just on one side. And you can touch the ground if you need to, but you can. You eventually will kind of do a mini flop. And then now use your core again. So you could sit here for a while until you got sick of sitting in this position. You could use your core again to shift your weight back up so you're up on your knees. You can touch the ground if you need to. And then using your core and paying attention to your inner body as you shift your hips to the other side and slowly lower yourself down. Hmm. And then from, then you can shift back up on your knees, and then you can bring the other leg in front of you back to a lunge with your knee on the floor. And then you can push yourself back up to standing.
1: So, what was that experience like for you? Well, it was nice. It felt like a little stretch. kind Almost. of. Yeah, a little stretch and a little lunge. My cat enjoyed it. I don't know if you could hear him meowing, <laughs> but he showed up because he saw me, you know, playing around on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: so interesting. So,
1: so why, why
0: am I talking about this? Why I'm talking about it is you are sitting in a chair, up and down out of the chair most of your day. But you're missing out on this little stretch, core activation, um, you know, psoas, strengthening in the legs, that you could be getting it just if you were embodied and getting up and down off the floor. And if you did that all day long, you wouldn't need to go to a yoga class because you'd be doing what humans are designed to do, which is just move in their bodies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, what if we could take that same principle to other transitions in your life? So what if you were to enter into a transition of leaving your kids, but you were doing it in a conscious embodied way, or a transition of waking up out of bed and doing it in a conscious embodied way? You may not have to do a 20-minute meditation later. If you wake up and you, the first thing you do is put your hands on your chest and breathe in your body, and then you move your legs over to the side of the bed, and you sit on the edge of the bed, and you breathe in your body, and you stand up and you do a mindful walk, you know, and you, you do an embodied awareness upon that transition time, right? Or what if you were to do an embodied awareness around these transition times with your, yourself, right? So this is how we can actually build embodiment into a lot of the things that we're doing is to kind of make up for sort of like the multivitamins that we're trying to take to make up for, if we were embodied and practicing in our bodies and our lives in a conscious way, we would need to take that multivitamin later. To so that, yeah, I don't need quality time with my kids because I'm just if I if I am just having quality breakfast cereal with my kid, you know, yeah. Versus rushing around while the kid eats
1: the cereal. It's just part of your day. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about what you said about getting out of bed in that different way than, you know, just the autopilot version. And how different that is than when you, you know, jump up in a rush, not thinking about it, you know, checking the news on Mm -hmm. your phone or whatever. And all the doom and gloom that's going on. And just how, what a different mindset you'd be in to start your day in that way.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Or
1: to have those little moments throughout the day.
0: Right. So practicing getting back, am I in my body? And also, in particular, paying attention to transitions is one one practice I want us to think about. And if you want to sit on the floor, you could benefit from
1: that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm still keeping the couch for now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you. Okay. Great. We are in the process. But of I like the idea. People, yeah, no, you're right.
0: um, so really, we're getting a low dining room table so that we can all, like it's a coffee table, basically. We're going to sit around a coffee table
1: for oh. our, our eating. Um, that's fascinating. I'm really, that's interesting. <laughs> that's <pretty laughs> so
0: Let's talk a little bit about um another um idea which is one that i've been using a lot in my practice which is the idea of talking about problems
1: and (laughs) so as a
0: therapist you know you know that's actually if you ask my kids what what does mom do for a living she said they say well she talks to people about their problems right and this is often you can sit down
1: Sorry. I'm sitting down. I feel bad for sitting. <laughs> That's okay. No, no, no. So
0: talking about our problem is different than relating to our problems differently. And I'm not going to have you sit long because so I'm going to do another exercise around this. But more often than not, what happens is that we get into, we talked about this in another episode, the default mode network of our of our brain around, around problems, which is we come in with this, you know, sort of a, a problem that we want to work on in therapy or maybe a problem in a friendship that we want to talk to our friend about. And we start talking about the problem and what we're trying to do is solve the problem with With our brain and we have all sorts of mindsets about how to solve this problem and we have stories about the problem and we, you know, have all sorts of things that get us more and more entangled in the problem. Has this happened for you as a therapist?
1: Oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As a therapist and as a person. I mean, it's like you sit there and you fret over it and you worry and you problem solve it and you go around and around and around and around and around with it. And I Mm -hmm. do it and my clients certainly do it in therapy, yeah. Definitely and for is. some
0: of us, you know, we know that problem that's that we've had for years and years and years, right? It's like the same thing, that yeah. keeps coming back, and we've talked about it a million times, and after a while, we could just like you know press play from you know a year ago and what we were saying around it, and we're back we're back here again. the same mm-hmm. problem. and so using our brains, or a mind to try and get out of a problem of the mind isn't always the most helpful thing, but actually using our bodies and being able to relate to, um, to, to what's happening in our bodies in a different way can actually shift the problem. Mm -hmm. So here's an example that I've been using with in our practice, uh, in my practice with clients around us. So do you have anything, um, Around that is about like 10 pounds, like maybe like a few books, or um, do you have anything that's sort of heavy? I and mean, this is where we can pause and go find something that weighs about 10 pounds.
1: Okay, pause. <laughs> okay. Well, I, know I just grabbed that glass. What?
0: What? What? Why did you? collect, it weighs about 10 pounds. Okay, well, I, 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 loved, grabbed,
1: I have a few options. I just grabbed, like, everything that was nearby. I have a big stack of books, and then I have, a, like, a little case that has a bunch of seltzer waters in it. So well, I love LaCroix, and I love yeah. people that have
0: LaCroix struggle
1: whenever I come to visit. You can always get to buy it. Come visit me. I'll give you one. Okay. I love LaCroix. Okay. Um, makes me yeah. happy. What flavor is it? Lime. Okay. So um, okay. So... I went to a chiropractor
0: a few weeks ago, or probably like a month ago now, a month ago, and um, not that problems with my back would be anything related to why I'm doing all this floor sitting, you know, I'm trying to kill myself here, but I went to a chiropractor and she had on her table um, a pamphlet called Forward Neck Syndrome, which she then um, pointed out to me, <laughs> and I was mildly insulted. Are you familiar with forward, forward neck syndrome?
1: No, but based on the name, I'm sort of guess. I'm going to take a guess. Yeah. So take a guess
0: that most of our day we are spent with our heads out in front of us because mm-hmm. we are typing, we are driving, we are looking at our phones, right? And so our heads are chronically in front of us. I see you pulling your neck back
1: over your <laughs> 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 How could you um, not? I bet you everyone who's listening to this is doing the same thing.
0: <laughs>
1: and so the nature of forward
0: neck syndrome is that our, our head weighs about 10 to 11 pounds. And if you take that 10-pound weight that you have, that you collected your LaCroix box and some books, and hold them in your arms,
2: Okay. and if
0: that are listening, you have to do this because you will not get the experience unless you do it. So take your your weight and hold it out in front of you with your arms straight out in front of you. Great. And what just happened to the weight as you push the arms out in front of you?
1: Would you notice it? Feels heavier.
0: Yeah, exactly. So actually, if you move your your head about an inch or two out in front of your spine, it's increasing your weight from an 11-pound head to like a 20-pound head Mm -hmm. in terms of the weight on your spine. So the actual weight of the problem of your head didn't change at all, but you, pushing it away from your body, did change your perception and experience of that weight. Now, I want you to hold it out in front of you again. Okay. Okay? And I want you to notice while you're holding it out in front of you, so your arms are straight and you're pushing away your problem, which is your head. And notice what happened to the rest of your body. How well are you breathing at this point? Uh,
1: Not very. Okay, so if you what were to kind it of feels t- like kind of restricted, I think my breathing. And what happened so? to the rest of the muscles in your body? They tensed They're up, like the in my sh- shoulders and upper back. I felt it sort of tense. Mm-hmm.
0: So as you're pushing it away, everything in your body is starting to tense up around it as yeah. well. Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
0: And if I were to come around and kind of like tickle you under your arms, how long would you be able to handle a tickle? <laughs>
1: I'd probably whack you with this case of LaCroix. What are you doing, right?
0: You've all had that experience, right? When we're relating to our problem this way, so say this is your relationship with your mother or the fact that you can't have kids or the chronic pain in your foot or your anxiety around um, eating in public or whatever it is, this thing that's been around for a long time more often than not, what we do is we try and get rid of it and push it away and we actually don't even want to look at it so we kind of push it away we probably would look the other way too which is even worse for your alignment of your spine Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and what happens is everything around your system locks up right, you can't Mm -hmm. breathe you can't, you know you're, you're getting totally locked up around it okay so what often happens, and this is how I put in I am sort of entering into the, to the realm of values and disembodiment. Because what often happens is that we get disembodied in this process of, of, of psychological avoidance or of pushing away or problem-solving or getting into our head around things, right, trying to fix, problem-solve, push away. We get disembodied in that we, we actually don't want to feel and we can't breathe and we can't even be in our body around this. You so think about this. Think about a relationship that really is hard for you and how hard it is for you to be in your body when you're thinking about problem-solving that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, I don't even want to be there. I don't want to enter into this body around this relationship. Yeah. And then the other thing that happens is we get really out of alignment with our values. Just as our head gets out of alignment with our spine and the weight of the load is so much heavier when our head is aligned out of alignment with our spine, when we get out of alignment with our values – the weight of our problem is so much heavier. We can't handle a tickle, right? Yeah. Someone's yeah. talking to you about your mom. Someone just, you know, pokes you a little bit about it, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I'm going to hit
1: you." Yeah.
0: The same way you wanted to hit me when I tickled you.
1: Well, and that's—I think that might be a lot of times when people start acting either defensive or angry or just not in a way that they their values really would want them to act. You know what I mean?
0: Right, right. So again, talking about our problems, problem solving our problems, trying to get rid of our problems, all of that is part of that constellation of sometimes mm-hmm. pushing away. Mm-hmm. And the alternative is an embodied one, which is if you were to take that, you're going to get really strong after this episode.
1: <laughs> and I know I've uh, never heard a podcast yes. quite like this before that involves you exactly. <laughs> Um,
0: okay, so hold the, hold the weight out in front of you. Okay, got it. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. is I want you to get aligned with this weight and body around it. So hold it in a way that would be particularly good for you, in alignment for you. You're kind of wrapping your arms around it. It would feel, mm-hmm. yeah, so you're wrapping your arms around it. And from this position, can you go in your body and notice, how well can you breathe in this position?
1: Yeah. Fine, yeah.
0: How, how tense are the muscles around
1: um, it? Not very. No, it feels kind of like a hug, like sort of cozy. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Cozy hug. Okay. And if I were to come up and tickle you, would you want to hit me? No. No, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: And notice that we did not change
0: the weight of your load
1: mm-hmm.
0: in any way. You're still carrying the same 10 pounds, but you're carrying it differently. You're carrying it in a more aligned way, in a more embodied way, in a more, I would say, just to add it because we've had it in every episode, self-compassionate way. <laughs> and and it, it changes how you relate. Yeah. So that is the practice of embodiment. When we are in our body, notice that I didn't tell you how to hold it. I didn't say, oh, you should just invite your mom for dinner, and then that will solve your relationship issues. I did not tell you how to hold it. I asked you, what is your wisdom around how to hold this load mm-hmm. that would be more aligned and embodied for you? And you knew intuitively what fits, and you would know probably that over time that you may want to shift it to another position. You'd hold it a different way. You'd put it on your shoulder. You'd move it around. It is flexible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: leading to this, to this thing in a much more flexible Embodied way.
1: Yeah. I've already okay. sort of, I know, even before you said that, I noticed I had sort of shifted my weight around a little bit, just sort of automatically. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so the first thing we talked about
0: was transitions being important. Second thing we talked about is how we carry our loads. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is the embodiment check in, which comes directly from forth. Um, and he did a lot of this in the workshop that I was um, at with her in a lot of different ways. And talks about sort of five, no, sorry, seven different um, things to look at in um, what she calls a practice lab, which is the practice lab of our body. So when we do an embodiment check in, it's asking really that question. Am I in my body? The question that I asked at the beginning of the last um, episode. So we start with closing our eyes, and she has us close our eyes because there is so much nervous system activation going on all day long from our into our visual cortex. We are taking in so much visual information, and we're taking in more visual information than we ever have. Think about Instagram how much visual information that your self is processing. And some would argue that all that visual information is also contributing to not being in our bodies, right? Because if we're in the visual system, we're in that exteroception, not an interoception. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to close our eyes. And if you're lying down, it's helpful to put a pillow or pressure on your eyes because there's some um, evidence to suggest that Putting some pressure on your eyes creates an oculocardiac reflex, which actually decreases your pulse rate. and is associated with sort of a calming effect. So using an eye pillow, and actually, we can just even notice that right now. If you close your eyes and then put your hands over your eyes, how it actually changes your um, awareness of your body. You get a little bit deeper inside. Do you notice that? Getting yeah. a little deeper inside? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So start by closing our eyes. And then the question is, am I in my body right now? To what degree am I in my body? What is the energy level in my body? What is the speed of my mind? Does it feel like things are racing past or going slowly? Or can I just really stay in my body without getting pulled away into my mind? Noticing my nervous system. What's the wiring of my nervous system right now? Am I feeling revved or calm? And what is the depth of my breath? Is it slow and short? Is it long? Is it expansive? Where is my breath moving in my body? If I were to give it some space and notice it and follow it, could I find it in places that I didn't even know I had breath in? Where is there pain in my body? So asking ourselves, you know, are there sensations of discomfort or pain? and can I just bring awareness to those and notice them without getting into that categorical place with it? Just noticing the sensation of the pain? Is if it were a texture or color, movement? Pain and sensations also often have a movement to them, a weight to them.
1: And then what is the emotional
0: tone of this body right now? Can I just notice that weather system, what it feels like in this body? And then we come back out again by opening our eyes, which brings back that visual stimulation again. So that's the embodiment check-in. We did a couple of them in our last episode, but just to break it down into those steps of some of our embodiment, sort of some of the places that we check in around which can be particularly helpful in getting into our bodies. I would say another question that um, often that I will do when I'm working with clients with eating concerns or issues is, what is my hunger fullness sensations like right now? Where are they at?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, where do I feel them? What is their intensity? Can I check in with myself around that, around my energy levels and how that relates to my hunger fullness, things like that? Great. Um, and for some people, this may be really challenging to go inside. You know, if you're working with someone with bipolar disorder that's in, uh, you know, hypomanic episode, that is not a body that is wanting to go inside. So we may keep our eyes open and try and go inside, or go inside in shorter ways. Um, so it's, it, you need to titrate this based on, you know, where you're at and contextual factors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that can be helpful is to practice the embodiment of some of the things we've done before, like doing a slow, mo- a slow movement, or slowing down movement and noticing yourself in your body in slow movement, attending some kind of class like a yoga class or a Tai Chi class where embodiment is part of the, if you find a good instructor, they're cueing you to enter into your own wilderness as opposed to cueing you to what your wilderness looks like. So they're not pointing out all the species and telling you what everything is. They're saying, go look at some flowers and, you know, tell me what you find. Mm -hmm. Because that in itself, as soon as someone is telling you what to do in a mindfulness exercise, they're putting you into that default mode network. They're creating a a mindset of of what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And this is much more of a process of discovery as opposed to looking for anything in particular you'll be surprised um and then how how i'm doing this in my in my own practice is that um as i mentioned before i'm really trying to do more embodiment breaks in my therapy sessions uh for multiple reasons one is that for the health of the therapist we should not be sitting in a chair for 50 minutes six Mm -hmm. clients in a row it's not good for our bodies or good for our own disembodiment. I think a therapist needs to be embodied to be able to do their best work, and also healthy and not in, in pain or discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is important for me to be to getting to be getting up and down um, more in my sessions. To also help myself get embodied and modeling that to my clients. So what that may look like is we may stand up and do an embodiment practice like we're doing right now. I may do a physicalizing practice like that books exercise and say, okay, this is your paper that's due for your undergraduate class. This is the load that you're carrying. How can we carry it differently? And then translate that into a behavioral practice after, after we've done the experiential or physicalizing practice. Uh, We will go, I've been going outside taking people out barefoot to experience what a tender foot feels like on a rough surface, and that's often like, okay, this is what it feels like in your relationship when you're entering into a new territory that you haven't been in in a long time, and you're doing it in in a new way that we haven't developed the muscles and the, the flexibility and all of that, and that's why it feels so tender, but it doesn't mean don't do it. It just means we have to be doing it with consciousness and awareness and kindness and slowly so that you work your way up to it. Yeah. So using a lot of metaphor of the body as as a means to understand our psychological self and moving back and forth and seeing less, I guess I'm seeing less and less of a barrier uh, or a distinction between the body and the brain and the mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think the research is, is definitely pointing to that. I'm also doing more um, embodiment um, just in my own life in terms of nature and, and finding that nature is one of the best ways to get into my body and moving in a in a different way through nature. So we talked about early on in our first episode about climbing trees mm-hmm. and I'm continuing to do that and um, like really doing it. <laughs> Like, really climbing the tree and getting to the point where, oh, my gosh, my heart's beating. I feel like I'm a little too high. Or I don't know if I'm strong enough. I will pull myself up. And that is getting into my body and my physical self and also my emotional self in a different way. So entering into a wellness and creating some neuroplasticity there huh. uh, around things that, when we're kids, we do a lot of that. But as we get older, we stop and we move into our comfort zones.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we get more and more and more comfortable. But in getting comfortable, we also develop weaknesses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because neuroplasticity is the way that our brains are remain young and, and plastic is by doing, like you said in the aging episode, doing new things. Yeah. And so this is one way to do new things. Also thinking about ways to get more embodied just in our um, everyday lives. So something like, you know, with my kids, instead of just buying nuts, we got nuts. And like in the shell nuts, so that they, you know, cracked them with a rock, cracked them with a nutcracker, and actually had to use their bodies to get the nut out, and have the experience of what is it like to use my body to get a nut out of the shell. <laughs> Why is that important? I think it's important because that's that's well, there's all sorts of stuff on grip strength and how we're losing grip strength as a culture, but also just about the process of figuring something out, learning about, discovering, and it's it's in a in a in a way through our bodies. Um, which is different. Yeah,
1: have you ever seen that animated film Wall-E? Have you ever seen that? Well, no. uh uh-uh. So it's future and there's robots and all that it's actually a great movie. But the people are off in space so their bodies can't support themselves anymore and so people just ride around on these like floating recliners and food just kind of they like uh-huh. push a button and a hamburger appears and then a drink appears <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> kind of feels sometimes like we're headed that direction right we just we like, are not yeah. we do not yeah.
0: have to turn pages of a book because goodness that would just be a little too much effort
1: yeah it's kind of a bleak view of humanity so let's hope it doesn't go quite or that far get into the wilderness
0: of your own body and nature and try some new things and notice the delight in the that your expectations about what's comfortable or not are expectations that your mind has placed on limitations, your mind has placed on experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uncomfortable to sit on the floor. i would rather sit on the couch, but then I drive for 20 minutes to go to my yoga class where we sit on the floor for an hour. <laughs> you no know? <Good> point, yeah. <laughs> but I just sit on the floor and then you're with your kids and you don't have to get in your car. Um, so, yeah, just thinking about things in a different way. And thank you so much for being my guinea pig with this, Debbie. You did such a good
1: job. Well, thank you. It was interesting. And, you know, like I said, I've never, I listen to podcasts, and I've never heard anything quite like this. that was, you know, quite so uh, experiential. Ah. So was fun. Thank you. Now, maybe I'm wondering if maybe plopping on the couch all the time. <laughs> and really the way to go. This is awareness. I know. I to,
0: awareness. I know.
1: Now I'm going to have to try the floor instead every once in a while.
0: So. Just try it. Yeah. Just, just move yeah. in. And that that's, that's actually the best thing you can do. Don't be static in one position in your life or in your body. And you'll be good. Okay. And then just ask you one more time, last as we close, am I in my body? Climb back in. If you climbed back out and then get into your body, find your breath, find yourself in there your knowing self, the sensations of your body. And as you open your eyes, keep that one eye in and one eye out. All right. Thank
1: you. Okay. Thank you, care. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.